0: Well, this morning we come to uh, perhaps one of the uh, most disputed of all passages in the book of Romans. It's in the 11th chapter, and it keys on uh, the phrase in verse 26, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. I know some of you are particularly eager to hear what we might have to say about that. I trust all of you will be encouraged by it. This is our reading for uh, the morning, Um, Romans chapter 11, uh, beginning at verse 25. And I'll read through the end of the chapter. Lest you be wise in your own conceits, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the Gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election... They are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they, too, have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This most controversial of sections uh, relates to then, as I've said, verse 26, in this way all Israel will be saved. You could argue that an understanding of this passage, this small verse, really opens you up to understanding all of God's saving plan for humanity. It is a passage that enables us to see God's place through his people Israel. Now, I want to give a caution before I get even get into this into this passage And that is, it is easy for us to have preconceived ideas about what this must mean, and therefore it locks us into a certain way of thinking, and we miss the entire point of the text. There's an example I want to give to this. And that is, we can see this verse as really, verse 26, as really unfolding stages or steps in God's redemptive plan. Something like this. Israel is hardened so that the gospel goes to Gentiles. So far, so good. But then after the last Gentile has heard and responded to the gospel, the last elect has been saved, uh, a- after that point then, there is a large-scale and last-minute salvation of ethnic Jews, And that oftentimes is put in the language of the millennial kingdom, that the church will be raptured and that and that then Jesus will form uh, the people of of Israel into Jerusalem and uh, and he will rule from David's throne in Jerusalem. That's what some people think of when they read this, cannot really help themselves, but thinking through that, those steps, Israel rejects. They're hardened. Gentiles are saved. All the elect are saved. And then God's plan is to come back and to save uh, Israel in Jerusalem. Well, that is interesting, isn't it? And you could even say it's exciting for God to work in such a way. But is that what the text says? Is that what's going on here? What we've been talking about over these past several weeks is God's mission strategy, and that He will—listen to this—save the Gentiles, uh, save the Jews through the Gentiles, and not apart from them. In other words, we're looking here not at stages of God's dealing with the with the Jews, but He's looking at a process where Jew and Gentile are going through life side by side. Well, with that in mind, let's look then at this passage. And I want to begin sort of in the middle and towards the end of it because it is easy to look at this passage and to lock in on all Israel will be saved and and, and miss really the larger point that God is getting to here and can miss God Himself. So I want us to begin with a simple question about what God is like. What is God like? Two things here. He is faithful and He is merciful. One of, one of the versions puts it this way, that the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. That is, he does not change his mind. He does not do something else. He's without repentance. And you know that the main problem that Paul is dealing with here in chapters 9 through 11 is what in the world to do with the unbelief of the Jews? All the promises that have come through Abraham and all the patriarchs All of those promises, what do we do with them? Verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 11 begins, I ask you then, has God rejected His people? And of course, Paul says, by no means. And and then again in, in verse 11, same chapter, I ask, did they stumble in order that they might Fall? In other words, did they stumble in order that they would be judged once and for all and forgotten about and have no more place in God's plan? And Paul says, no, that's of course not the case. Why God is faithful. God's gifts and the calling and his calling are irrevocable verse 29. God is reliable. God is dependable. God is not fickle. God does not change his mind. He does not change his course. While it is true in verses 28 and 29, uh, as regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. Speaking of the Jews here, they are enemies of God. Their rejection of Paul, their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ in particular. But as regards election, they are beloved for your sake and their forefathers. They are beloved. Those whom God elects are beloved. God didn't retract his call. His promises stand. Remember what God is like. He is faithful. The gifts and the call are irrevocable, but the second thing is God is merciful. Merciful, we see at verse thirty-two. God has consigned all to disobedience that He may have mercy on all. And before you think, well, this is some kind of a universal salvation text that can, be, and it could be abused that way. But God has mercy on Gentiles and Jews alike, and that never stops. God has mercy on on all kinds. Uh, Jew and Gentile alike. It is how God treats people. He gives just mercy to Jew and Gentile alike. And God is open, God's mercy is open to all humanity. And then look again at the pattern in verses 30 and 31 just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now you've received mercy because of their disobedience. This is, again, the Jewish, the Gentile people. You were disobedient, but you received mercy because of the disobedience of the Jews, okay? that is the pattern. Their disobedience brings about mercy for you. But then look at 31. So they too now have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, the mercy shown to Gentiles, the Jews will be coming back. They also now, now may receive mercy. I just want to stop and just, let's, let's make this very personal for us right now. Do we get the gospel? What I mean by that, what I mean by that is, is God is full of mercy. He is full of mercy to you today. You may come here more aware of how you have fallen short than you have about how God has mercy for sinners where where sin abounds god's grace superabounds and as we've looked at people in our own lives children perhaps parents loved ones no one is beyond god's mercy do not give up don't ever give up do not look at a Jewish person. Do not look at your loved ones as being too far gone. Hearts too cold. Too sin hardened. Don't fall into that. You have a merciful God. Where sin abounds, well, that's where God shows up. His grace super about. notice then back to verse 25 all, all of this is about a mystery humbly embrace therefore God's mystery that is now revealed a mystery um, in, in, is not a, like an Agatha Christie thing where you're kind of trying to figure out who, who's the criminal in this after all it's not, we're, we're waiting to have some great reveal about who done it. It's instead saying that there are hints of things in the Old Testament, hints that are brought to full flower and they become obvious in the New Testament. And, and what is already stated in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 32 is quoted in Romans 10:19, which is the heart of the mystery that Paul is dealing with in this whole passage. Look at look with me at Romans 10:19. I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. He's speaking to Israel. And they are thinking, did you hear some of the passages we read earlier today? How God was saving this people and setting them apart and making them so special. Now he's saying in Deuteronomy, I'm going to make you jealous when you see the nations. Well, what does that mean? Who knows what that means? It's here in the New Testament that Paul unwraps that and and makes that mystery clear. It is God's strategy... To reach the world. Now, now notice that Paul, back in, in, in chapter 11, verse 20, uh, he's saying we're, we're, we're making sure that you don't get proud. And this passage 25 opens up, lest you be wise in your own conceits. If anything would humble a Gentile, it is, it is that. That you are not the end of all of God's redemption, but God is saving you in order to save Israel. makes us all one, one olive tree, Jew, Gentile alike. But Paul is preaching to Gentiles not just to save them, but also to make Jews envy. Do you remember our statement these last few weeks? This is the point of what we could say of all of these passages we're dealing with, to make grace so attractive that... That those who don't uh, who don't have it will envy those who do. To make grace in your life, my life, so attractive that those who don't have it will envy those who do. Do you see the problem then of dealing with this with chapter with uh, verse twenty six in terms of stages? We'll we'll get the get the Gentiles saved and then and then they're out of the picture and then God will work on Israel doesn't work that way. Side by side. Hardening of the Jews. Gentiles are saved. Gentiles are tasting grace. Israel says, I want to get me some of that living water. I want some of that Christ too. This is God's plan. People becoming envious of His grace now. Not just in the last moment of history, but now. Side by side. God is dealing with Gentiles now; is is not dealing with Gentiles now and Jews later. So, the point here then is that mystery isn't the mystery isn't when Israel is saved at the end, but but how, the process. That's what that's what is shocking, and that's the mystery that Paul here displays. Well, one application for this then is is um, the church. The Church of Jesus Christ is the very last place for any anti Semitic feelings. Have you heard it? Have you heard it? Perhaps in the news, perhaps from other Christians, perhaps lingering in your own heart, some sense of superiority over the Jews? After all, they did crucify Christ, didn't they? And for that reason, throughout the course of history, they have been vilified and hated. They've lost their chance. Is there any lingering stereotype in you about the Jewish people? There's no place for that. There's no place for that. Well, let's then look to verse 26. And notice what the text says. And in this way. Not, and so in the course of time, these stages are working out. But in this way, all Israel will be saved. Well, this opens up its set of questions, doesn't it? The largest one is, who is Israel? What is Paul talking about here? I'm going to unpack three views, three views this morning. The first view is this, that all Israel refers to all of the elect Jew and Gentile that this passage is talking about. And so, uh, in this way, God will have gathered all of his elect people, uh, all in one tree, the, the, the olive tree that has branches that are grafted in, that are natural, and branches that are grafted in that are foreign, uh, the Gentiles, and that is one tree, and so it is that all Israel is saved. Well, that is true. Uh, God does, in the church, uh, God does choose and save both Jew and Gentile alike. And it is certainly true that Abraham is the root of God's olive tree, and Jews and Gentiles are, are grafted in only by faith in Christ. Yes, Paul does call the church the Israel of God. He makes the point of that in Galatians chapter 6. You are, you are one. You are the Israel of God. And this is the view of, of such great reformers as John Calvin. Certainly, Paul is speaking about the church comprised of both Jew and Gentile united in Christ. That is Calvin's view. All elect will be saved, Jew and Gentile, and all elect are Israel. That is true, but is it the point of this text? Is that the mystery that Paul is now unfolding? I would say that it is not the point of the mystery that Paul is unfolding. And I want to point to a fact here that in chapters 9 through 11, the word Israel is Ten times is used to refer to ethnic Israel. And only one, and as, as close to this passage even as, as in, chat, in verse 25. Uh, until, um, I, I want you to be, I, I, lest you be wise in your own conceits, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. In and in this way, then all Israel would be saved. Uh, John Murray, uh, and I think is absolutely correct here, he says it is exegetically impossible for the word "Israel to have two jarringly different meanings in such close proximity to one another. You can't make uh, the Israel in verse twenty-six then uh, mean what Paul call uh, how Paul uses it in Galatians chapter six. And really, this is again look at the flow of the pastor. This is the hope that there will be a fullness of Jewish Christians grafted back into the vine. Look at me at verse 24 again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own tree? Their own olive tree. Well... If it is not, therefore, uh, if Israel is not, therefore, Jew and Greek together, others have said it is the nation of Israel as a whole. Not necessarily every single one, but the nation as a whole. And it's often put in terms of the nation of Israel as considered in dispensational thinking, that after the Gentile church has been raptured, uh, Israel's hardening will be removed, the millennium will be ushered in, the thousand year period will be re- ushered in, and Christ will rule over the converted Jewish nation from that throne in Jerusalem. But the fatal flaw with that understanding, in my view, is that, is that it, it removes, uh, it removes, uh, the, the role of the Gentiles in the conversion of the Jews. Gentiles are removed and then the mass conversion of Jews begins. And not only that, but Paul's phrase here, all Jews, really what he would be saying would be all Jews of that last generation. Discounting all of the Jews that have existed prior to the second coming of Christ, the ones alive today. So all Israel is not a very big category after all. Remember, as Paul says, it's not the whole, not the whole nation of Israel, for, for at no time was everyone in Israel saved. Not all descended from Israel belong to Israel. Well, I'm taking the view that's held by Bob Inc and Ritterboss and Burkhoff and John Murray and, and uh, quite a few uh, well-known uh, authors. I think they're absolutely right. This, in this, it is the third view that Paul is referring here. To the elect Jews as Israel, but throughout all history. It makes sense of the context. It makes sense of how the mystery works. Israel is saved side by side with Gentiles throughout history. There is a growing sense in this section about about this as the purpose and the, the purpose and power of God. Look with me at verse 15. We're going to build, look at the, the, the wave that is building. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? So there will become a time of acceptance. There will come a time of great ingathering. And that will bring great life, great life to the world. A significant number uh, will be given life. From the dead. And verses 23 and 24, even they, if they do not continue in their belief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to do it. God has the power to do this. Graft them in again. And again, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? All God's elect of Israel will, in fact, Come home to Jesus. Paul goes on to talk about how how this is how they are saved and saved by the blood of Christ. We, we, we will understand then in this way all Israel or all the elect through Jews throughout history will be saved along with along with of course all of the elect Gentiles in this one tree. But here Paul is answering the question about what is the future of Israel. And finally, he says that they will be saved. They will be saved by the blood of Christ. Um, verses 26 and 27. Uh, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Since, uh, since, the, since World War II, Uh, people have felt an appropriate remorse about the mistreatment of Jews. And that is that is appropriate. Uh, but what has developed uh, since the middle of the last century is what has been called the two-covenant view. And that is, one of them is the gospel view. That is, that the elect are saved by the blood of Jesus and are brought into the church. But then there is also a historical view where God's promises to Abraham are fulfilled in his people, the Jewish people, without coming to faith in Christ. That's that's sensitive, (laughs) sort of. But it is also anti-Semitic. Why do I say that? The very gospel that Paul is offering to save the Jews is then taken away from them. It is fine for us to believe in Jesus. But you just stay with Abraham and everything is good. It rips our scriptures in two for Jesus himself fulfills the Abrahamic covenant. And look at our passages here uh, in, in verses 26 and 27. They are passages that look forward to the deliverance of Christ, by Christ of, of his people and they are painted in very, in very heavy Jewish terms. He will banish the, the un- ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. This is, this is certainly, it, there are Jewish heavy notes in this song. And it is not only for Gentiles, but for Jews too. what we have in common with the Jewish people who have come to faith in Christ is that every one of us is looking forward to the promised land. The promised land. David, um, my friend David Haney, um, kept a little notebook uh, for his wife. And in that little notebook were some numbers, um, passwords, uh, along with uh, security questions to help unlock some of those some of those accounts should he die before her. Well, Becky um, read that little notebook and discovered that one of David's security questions were, "Where do you want to retire?" I'm pretty sure at one point he put in California there. But at some point, I don't know when, at some point he crossed out California. And in answer to this question, where do you want to retire? David said, heaven. That's what unites us in Christ. Jew and Gentile alike our longing for that unity with God in heaven. Well, I want to make two comments of application following this, and that is, uh, all Israel will be saved. (laughs) Hear me well, people. does not shape foreign policy for the United States. The establishment of the Jewish state in 1948 following the Second World War was an act of justice. It was not a fulfillment of prophecies from the Bible. The fulfillment of prophecies from the Bible for the land of the, of the promised land for Jew and Gentile alike is that land that Abraham described as that building, that has foundations, whose builder is God himself. That is heaven. That's what we wait for. And if we support the Jewish nation uh, in Israel at the expense of the native Arab, Arab population there, we are not serving the cause of God's justice. It is an extremely sticky matter, this two-state policy that has been that politicians have been seeking to pursue since 1948. I don't know if it'll ever be resolved. There has been so much, so much bloodshed between the two sides. But whatever we do there is not to be at the expense of either Jew or Arab. Our policies have at times perhaps been blindly pro-Israel in a way that unnecessarily alienates Arabs. And I would suggest the only way that I can see through this, and who am I, just a little guy here, but it seems to me that the mystery of this passage that Paul is unfolding has got to be at the core of the restoration of peace to that land of Palestine. There are churches now uh, in, in the land of Israel, churches where Jews and Arabs together worship Jesus. And may God strengthen them, and may the glory of the gospel uh, awaken a population from secularism to the beauty of Jesus Christ. And let us as a country uh, not blindly uh, follow just a pro-Israel Basis. And I say that as one who is, I am amazed and gratified by the heroism of the Jewish people to hang on in that Arab world. I am a fan of theirs. But let's not allow uh, our appreciation of Israel to unnecessarily um, jeopardize the Arabs. All right, so all Israel is saved doesn't shape U.S. foreign policy, but it does shape church practice, okay? It does shape church practice. Uh, Have you heard of Jews for Jesus? Have you heard of them? Uh, They are uh, Jews who are um, converted uh, to Jesus, and they are on a mission to other Jews. And that is good. That is good. But there's a couple of things i got a problem with that. First of all, they have an overly confrontational style. And it's Jews for Jesus. And what Paul is talking about here is Gentiles for Jews for Jesus. Gentiles for Jews to Jesus. And I would say this passage also calls us to expect many natural branches to be regrafted into the olive tree. Many natural branches. Back in the 1970s, when Jews for Jesus what it was in its heydays in the, some of the campuses in California, one campus um, a, a, um, leader made this comment that he had seen more converts in the last nine months than he had seen in the last 23 years. In other words, he was seeing Jews fleeing to Christ at a rate that was unparalleled. And we have, even at this time, we have 1.6 million Jewish people who are followers of, of the Messiah, Yeshua, the Messiah. And 17% of the Jewish population in, the, in Russia are following Jesus. These are things that we should expect to see and we should pray for them and we should support them. And we start not by just sending a check to some sort of confrontational group like Jews for Jesus. If you're doing that, I, okay, it's, I'm sure they do good work. But, but we really want to see Gentiles for Jews and bring them to Jesus. And so that starts with us. We want... We want, we expect Jew and Gentile alike to envy our faith. And in one sense you can say that the Jewish people are just like everybody else all around us. They are. They too have rejected Christ's righteousness. They are, they are Paul says in, in chapter 10, they are unwilling to submit to, Paul's to Jesus' righteousness. We don't want it. We want to establish our own. Who else does that describe? Everybody you know who's not a Christian. We all love our own righteousness. And so we want to be those who can minister to Jew and Gentile alike with the beauty of Christ's righteousness and not be obnoxious about it like some are. How can we do that? I I love it when I hear some of you who have Jewish friends talk about your relationship with them. I love that. Take it slow over a period of time and listen for ways that you can tell them how Jesus has helped you with your problem of self-righteousness. They got the same problem. We're all cut out of the same cloth. So you have an opportunity to say, this, has how, this is how Christ has met me. Show them grace and salvation, not by works, but by grace. And this, of course, is how we deal with everyone. Children that we're concerned about. Uh, parents who have perhaps never committed their lives to Christ. Neighbors, this is is how you do it. This is how God has been kind to me. He has been merciful to me in my sin. And I'd like to share with you about Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, in all of these words this morning, I pray, I pray what has not been lost is that you are all about making grace attractive in us so that those who don't have it will envy us. Please let us walk away with that. please let us walk away with that, the beauty of holiness. That others will see something of Jesus in us. The way we smile. The way we are merciful to others. The way we have generosity towards others. That they will say, Ah, there's something, something about Jesus in that person. So we pray, Holy Spirit, for you to work in us, change us by your glorious grace, for your honor and your name's sake. Amen.